First <laughs> Corinthians chapter one through three. Let's let's pray and we will begin. Father, thank you for this night. Thank you for each of these that are here. Thank you for those that are coming. Pray, Father, for understanding and revelation knowledge. Thank you, Father, for opening the eyes of our understanding and filling us with your truth and with your life. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, just kind of as a review, uh, who were the Corinthians? Here's a pop quiz. You should have studied all week long. You should have all the answers. Who were the Corinthians? Give me some facts about the Corinthians. Very decadent nation, right. Why were they decadent? Why, why, what were the reasons? Right. Because they were, they were a, right on the trade route from between two major uh, yep. bodies of water. They were the trade route, right. They were, they were the crossroads of the world. Uh, everything came through there, which was, a, which was you know, not lost, I believe, on the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the reason Paul went there and preached, and a great church started there. It was, it was a great church. Um, but they're decadent, right. Good. What else? What else do we know about the... They were what? They were very sinful, yeah. They, they didn't know right from wrong. They, they thought they were doing the right thing. Exactly. Why, what, what, uh, religiously, what were they like? Well, uh, you know, the, the temple of people with all the prostitutes, yep. that was just a yep. normal thing. It was okay, they thought. Mm-hmm. Whereas when Paul came in, you know, preaching and saying, well, yep. I mean, yeah, they... they the multi-gods, the, the, the polytheistic belief systems, the, the, uh, the idea of, uh, um, it wasn't Diana, who, which, Aphrodite, uh, the, uh, the goddess Aphrodite, that was where her um, uh, temple was, and uh, it, w- it had a thousand temple prostitutes, it was just the norm, that's what you did, that's how you did, you know, that's how you worship, so for them, when Christianity came in, you know, it was crazy enough, with a monotheistic system, uh, was very different. Very, I mean, the Jews were there. Remember we talked about how the Jews were there, and the, the, they, there was a, uh, a synagogue there in uh, Corinth. Um, they were monotheistic, but they were also a closed system. Not just anybody could go and, be, and, and, and worship at a... <laughs> It is. I said, all of a sudden, it just jumped across your shoulder. That was crazy. Watch out, Jane. Here it comes. Uh, they, uh, but you couldn't, you know, just you couldn't just go to a Jewish synagogue. You had to become a Jew to do that, and people didn't. Whereas when Paul came in and started preaching the gospel, it was open. It was. It was basically uh, here's here's the good news of you know that Jesus Christ loves all of you, and we're actually talk about that. Uh, why it's so significant that Corinthians, and Paul talks about it in the first, uh, first three chapters here, why it's so significant that he goes to the Corinthians and to the, to the well, what they would call Gentiles, non-Jewish people. All right. Okay. So they're living, it, it is a decadent, uh, um, materialistic, um, uh, free society. Meaning, free meaning they could do anything they wanted, anytime they wanted, because they not only had the opportunity, they had the means. It was a very affluent, you know, uh, area. So, yes, satiated, which means 
full. Yeah, just it's it's saturated with with whatever life, whatever you had, whatever whatever you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Anything, and and they encourage people to find the limits. You know, um, it, it's it was a it was a oh, hedonistic society where whatever I can do to plead to have the most pleasure in my life for as long as I possibly can, that's what I want to do. Okay, and that went on for for centuries, centuries and centuries because of the trade. Everything came from all over the world and went through Corinth at any given time, and so they could try anything, they could do anything there. All right, so Paul then comes to Corinth, and he begins to preach, and uh, he begins preaching in the synagogue. But what happens? What happens when he starts preaching, after a while, after he's been preaching in the synagogue, what happened? We're still in Acts, when we had, we had gone through Acts to, what happens while he's preaching in the synagogue? Anybody remember? Jews get riled up, just like anywhere he goes, the, the Jews get riled, riled up. And remember the guy with the cool name, Sosthenes? Sosthenes uh, uh, is the uh, um, synagogue ruler of the day. And uh, he takes, they, they, they uh, uh, grab Paul, they take him in front of the, uh, the Roman magistrate of the area, which his name was, I can't remember, I, I, I'd be guessing. But the, the Roman uh, magistrate of the area the Roman magistrate goes, I don't even want, he says, this has nothing to do with me. Get out of here. Won't listen to him. And immediately all the people turn and start beating up Sosthenes. Sosthenes gets beat up in, in front of the court, in front of Paul, in front of everybody. And the judge, his name is, anybody there yet? It's uh, uh, Acts chapter 17, 18. not a big deal but first one to find it gets a point hmm. Galio, that's it yep that's it I kept trying to. I kept wanting to say Galileo, but it was, but it, but it's not Galileo. It's Galileo. So, yeah, yeah, that would have been wow, time travel and everything. Uh, so Galileo uh, says we don't have anything. To, this has nothing to do with me. Get out of here. They turn on Sosthenes. They begin to beat Sosthenes up. And then we talked about the uh, the the very interesting greeting, which we'll start out with here. Getting into chapter 1, we're going to go through 1 through 3 tonight. The greeting, Paul, so remember, Sosthenes was the, the Jewish uh, synagogue ruler who got beat up in front of everybody, and this is the opening greeting from Paul. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes. So, apparently, Sosthenes gets saved some point after that, after, at that, after that incident, and is now part of the church in Corinth. Uh, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus 
and called to be holy together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so, uh, well, and then grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing a letter to the Corinthians. The, the majority of chapter 1 is a very positive welcome. Now, if you've ever read 1 Corinthians before, if you've ever you know, looked into in, you know, in, in somewhat in depth of what 1 Corinthians is about, he spends the rest of the book chewing them out. But he starts out saying these things. Here's where we're going to start. Thanksgiving. And, and, and because this, we're just going a couple of chapters at a time here each week, we're going to have time to read through it. So we'll read through it as we go. But I, I encourage you to read it uh, in the week coming up. Like uh, For next week, it'll be chapters 4, 5, and 6. So I encourage you to read those ahead of time. And like I said last week, make some notes, write some questions, write some insights, things like that. And then we'll go on. But uh, we can, you know, as we go along here, we will read uh, large chunks of these chapters. Verse 4. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way, with all kinds of speech, with all knowledge, God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await or eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also keep you firm to the end, that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his Son, Christ Je- or Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right. So we're reading this, and if uh, we were in Corinth, we were in the service that, that, Sunday, that uh, uh, Monday morning or Sunday morning, Uh, first day of the week and the church is all gathered together and somebody says hey we have a letter from paul we're going to read it this morning and you you start reading the letter you're thinking hey here's paul and he's he's in a good mood okay we know later he's not going to be he's going to call him on the carpet he's going to deal with some things but what's he doing is he just buttering him up at this point is he just uh is he just uh getting them ready for the big smackdown I mean, these are pretty positive statements for a group of people that he's about to take to task. So, have you ever heard of the sandwich method? Heard of the sandwich method? Yeah, we, we learned that. I learned that early on. You see, the sandwich method is, is that if you're going to chew somebody out, you tell them something nice, you encourage them, and tell them positive, tell them whatever, and then, and then you, you lay it on the line, you deal with it, and then you encourage them at the end. So it's a sandwich. You have the... The good on both sides, and the, you know, and I, I remember years ago I was I went and talked to somebody, and I had to to deal with an issue in their life, and I said, you know, so here's the deal. I've been really encouraged by watching them do this, blah 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 blah, and then I said, but, and when I said but, they says, oh, it's the sandwich method, is it? <laughs> they they knew what was coming. They, and I was like, yeah, want me to just skip right to it? And they said, yes, please just skip right to it. So we dealt with it, and, and it was good. But they, they, they caught me. I was doing the sandwich method, and they, they, uh, they caught me. So is that what he's doing, or what's going on here? What do you think is really going on here? I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint. There's something else going on here. What's going on with, with Paul and how he's greeting these people? Any thoughts? 
Ding, 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 ding. He's, ma he's making faith statements. Now, what do we mean by that? What he's saying is, this is who you are. Whether they're acting like it or not, this is who they're called to be. And Paul is a pastor. Paul is able to look past where people were right at the moment and know where God had called them ultimately. And that's what God does to us. You know, God looks at us. Uh, you know, let, let me just stop there. Let me, let, have you ever noticed? Maybe, maybe you haven't. Maybe God's the only way God deals with me. But I'll be going through my life, you know, and I'll be thinking, wow, I'm doing pretty good. You know, I'm, I'm walking with the Lord. You know, things are great. This is really good. And uh, he's really blessing me. And I'll, I'll, I'll experience the, you know, the, even the power of God. You know, I'll pray for somebody and something will happen in their life or, you know, whatever it may be. And it's just like, wow, this is great. And then all of a sudden, one day, I do something stupid. You know, I sin or I, or I, or I take an attitude or I, or I, you know, whatever it is. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to share my sins unless you share all of your sins tonight. So we won't get specific. But have you ever done that? Where you're just cruising along and you think you're doing great, and then all of a sudden you go, boom, you smack right into the reality that you're not perfect. Now, have you ever at that moment thought, did God know this yesterday when he was blessing me? Did, did, did God know that I was going to act this way or think this way or do something this way a week ago when I prayed for so-and-so and they got healed? Or, or, or how does that work? I've asked myself that dozens of times, hundreds of times, thinking, how exactly does that work? I mean, God called me to be his son, to be his child, 44 years ago. I was four years old. I still remember the day. I could tell you what it was like outside when I had the conversation with my mom. And, I told, we, and, and she led me to the Lord. And I, asked, and, I, and I asked Jesus into my heart. Now, that was 44 years ago. There's been a lot of sinning between then and now. Okay? You know, it's all under the blood, praise God. And I understand that theologically, and I understand that practically. But he called me back then, and he knew that when I was 18, I was going to walk away from him. That I was going to that I was going to, to to backslide, and that I was going to run away from from his his hand upon my life. So why did he call me then if he knew I was going to fail when I was eighteen? How you know all those years, you know five you know, six years of running away from God and ignoring Him and, and rebellion, like we've been talking about in church. It was out and out rebellion. And rebellion isn't just for teenagers. You know us middle agers can rebel. And, you know, I'm thinking, what was, you know, what was God thinking? You know, did he not know? Well, of course not. God's sovereign. He just is. He knows. He's, he's omnipotent. He's, he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows what I'm going to do before I do it. And yet, he called us anyway. He loved us anyway, even though he knew we were going to fall short on any given day of any given part of our life. He knows what you're going to do 20 years from now and how you're going to blow it. You're going to take an attitude with somebody or you're going to, you know, or whatever it is. And yet he still loves us. And that's the way Paul is looking at these people. He knows what they're doing. He's heard the reports. He's already seen. But he's telling them, you are gifted with all the spiritual, all the gifts. 
You're, you're given grace by the God of the universe. You are. I, I thank God for you. Because what Paul is saying is exactly that. He's saying, he says, by faith, this is who you're going to be. <laughs> if it's the last thing I do, this is what you're going to be. This is how you're going to be. And, and, and as, a, as a leader, as a pastor, I get that. Because, um, you know, for, for one way or another, one way or another, I know stuff. Either somebody's told me, or the Holy Spirit has told me, and I'll know stuff about people. And then they'll come to me, and we'll get into a conversation, and I already know where it's going. I know, I know what they're doing, I know where they're coming from, I know what's been said, I know what the conflict is, I know what all these different things are. But I have to act. Love, I'm going to, you know, let's jump way ahead, and then we're going to come back. 1 Corinthians 13, part of loving somebody, loving, uh, you know, walking in love, is what? Hoping the best. That no matter what, no matter how many times you've blown it in the past, to love somebody, and that's what God does for us, he loves us so much that he hopes, and his hope is different, he, he knows we're not, but he, his, that hope is this, he's going to do it right this time. He's going you know, to make the right choice. And I'm, and I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until it happens, and then we'll deal with whatever happens. But I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until I see differently. Paul is walking by faith here. He's, and he's speaking words of faith over these people. Um, years ago, I heard a, a guy preaching, and he, says that, he said that he had a, a son who was a wayward son. And every morning, his son would get up and he'd say, Good morning, man of faith. Good morning, man of God. And his son will get mad at him, you know. And, rah, 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 you know. Why do you call me that? Rah, rah. Have a good day. And the next morning, good morning, man of God. <laughs> and he says, he did that by the Spirit. The Lord led him to do that because he was speaking. This is who you are. You are a man of God. You are a, you're a mighty man of righteousness, even though he was acting not like it. It's okay to call those things that are not as though they are. That's what, that's what God is the God. It's what, that's what it says. In the, I believe it's in Ephesians that he is the, I think it's Ephesians, tell me if I'm wrong. But he is the God who calls things that are not as though they are. Romans 4, there we go. So we can do that. You know, we can, we can, you know, and Paul's doing that right here. Hey, you, you wonderful, amazing, awesome church. You know, I'm just so proud of you. You're amazing. You're wonderful. It isn't the sandwich method. No, he's just speaking life over them. And he's encouraging them. Then he's got to deal with what he's got to deal with. Just like, you know, real life. Uh, pardon? Yeah, exactly. Yep, exactly. Any thoughts? Before we move on. Doesn't that tie into a little bit too that God occupies all time at the same time? Yes. So he's also in my future mm -hmm. at the same time he's in my presence. Yeah, he knows it. He's he's been there already. He's seen it. He's already experienced it. Um, and he already sees the ultimate answer. And he realizes that our righteousness doesn't lie in what we do. Yeah, <laughs> praise God. You know, that's, that is the ultimate answer to all of it is, yes, God saw all these things, but that's not why he chose me. 
That's not why he chose you. That's not why he called us. He didn't call us because we were perfect. He didn't call us because we were even good. He called us because he loves us. And he's made a way where there was no way. There was no way for us to be righteous, to be holy, to be all of those things. But he did it anyway because he's been there and he saw this is worth it. Their life is, go- is important. And how they live their life will cause them to grow into who I'm calling them to be. And so he's always pulling. It's, it's kind of like he's always pulling us to that future. To that, and, he's, and, and that future is our present. Because he sees us, because it, in reality, we're already past the judgment seat of Christ. We're, we're seated with him in the heavenlies, as it says. By faith, we're already there. Because he's done everything he needs to do for that to be. It is the reality that we have. And when we know that, when we finally get, get, a, get a real grasp of that, our life will change. We'll live differently. When we realize that, that we are who he's called us to be, even, you know, sorry, that, that, that phrase just popped into my head, we are who he thinks we are. We are who God believes we are. We are that, it's just we need to start acting like it. Now, have you ever... Yeah, maybe uh, you've, you've never, uh, how do I say this? I'm sure you as parents have never done this to your child. Because I haven't, hopefully. Oh, Lord, forgive me if I ever have. But have you ever said something over your kid and, and, and called them, you know, you know, why did you fail on this test? Are you dumb? You know, I mean, I had, I had a friend who grew up, his dad called him an idiot all, all the time. You're an idiot. You're an idiot. You're worthless. You'll never amount to anything. Well, he wondered why his life was all screwed up. Because he, he spoke those, those words of non-faith, those words of, you know, those words of uh, you know, downgrade and, and, and uh, you know. Cursing. He's cursing him, yeah. Whereas, whereas you look at it, you know, my son, I said, you're the smartest kid I have. Well, both of them. You're the smartest kids I have. You know, you're intelligent. You're smart. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're capable. You are able to do everything that God called you to do. You know, he says, well, what should I, what should I become, Dad? You know, I, I mean, I can, you know, we were talking about what, what's available to him out in the world. I says, you can do anything God tells you to do. You can. You're, you're more than able. He's equipped you already. You're smart. You know, he got a bad grade in a class, and I said, this isn't going to fly because I know you're smarter. You can do this. You just need to apply yourself. I mean, so you speak those words of life. That's what Paul is doing is he's telling them, this is who you are. Now we need to deal with these things. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there are no divisions among you, but that you are perfectly united in mind and thought. Now let's just stop there because this sounds like crazy talk. Is that even possible? It's not a trick question. Is this even possible? Yeah, they were of one heart and one mind. It was for the wrong reason. But they could do it. They, they were of one heart. Absolutely. Okay, good. How about today in Christianity? Is it possible for us to all agree... And to be heading in the same direction? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Define is. <laughs> exactly. Here's the deal. I say it is. It is possible. Because I believe in absolute truth. There is an absolute truth. There is a perfect will of God. There is the right way to go. Narrow is the path. Narrow is the gate that leads to righteousness. There is a way that we should all be walking. So when we're not walking that way, what's happening? What's happening when we're not all agreeing? Confusion? Rebellion? Why would okay? Why would we be in rebellion? I'm, I'm looking for a specific. That's the hard thing about being a teacher. And you, I'm looking for something specific. You're trying to guess it. I'll give it to you because you guys are hitting all around it. Um, somebody's going to be wrong. If 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 all of us, you know, if we if, if there's one answer to the problem here, one answer to the solution or to the situation, but we we end up going in however many people are you know, twelve different ways. But there's really only one way to get there. Somebody is wrong. <laughs> you know, we don't like to be told we're wrong. We don't like to be. We don't like it pointed out. Um, you know, uh, boy, whew, I just had an, an example pop into my mind, and I don't know if I can use it. Um, I have a friend. Oh gosh, can we even use this one? I have a friend who's living in a certain lifestyle, and this friend is saying. I'm a Christian. And saying that everybody else in Christianity is wrong because they think his lifestyle is wrong. And, and he, any, kind of, any kind of discussion with that person turns into an argument because he's, he thinks everybody else is wrong. Who's right? Exactly. You know, it isn't my opinion whether his lifestyle is wrong. It's what the Bible says. And, I, and I, I love this guy. I love this guy. He's a wonderful, he's a brother in Christ. He, you know, he's grown up in the church. I knew him as a kid. I knew him now as an adult. I love him. He's wrong. He doesn't want to hear that he's wrong, but he's wrong. Now, does that mean he's a bad person? I don't believe it's a bad, he's wrong. I mean, there's some things I'm wrong about. And I don't like it when people tell me I'm wrong. But the truth is, there is truth. Whether I like it or not, whether I agree with it or not, doesn't make it true or not true. Truth is truth. The truth of the word of God is truth. And so what, what Paul is saying is, I wish you would all agree, meaning I wish you'd quit rebelling. <laughs> because when we disagree and when we're going contrary to the word of God, it's rebellion. And so is it possible? Yes. If, if we would all follow truth. You know, and he even says this later on, not in, not in these three chapters, I don't believe. Uh, I can't remember for sure right now. Um, but I, I think it's later on. He even says, well, of course there's going to be divisions because it only shows who's right and who's wrong. I mean, he makes that point in 1 Corinthians. It's either 1 or 2 Corinthians. It's in this, we'll get to it. He says, you know, when it comes to doctrine, if you don't agree with me, you're wrong. You know, he had argument. He had an argument with Paul, and the argument with—I'm sorry—Paul uh, had an argument with Peter 
about the Jew, about the the, uh, the Gentiles getting saved and whether they needed to be circumcised or not. And it says the, the kind of argument they got into, and we talked about this last week with Barnabas, was the kind of argument that comes to blows. So they disagreed, but one of them was wrong. In the case of Peter, Peter was wrong. The, the Gentiles didn't need to be circumcised, but he was, he, was, he was making his decision based on something other than the Word of God and the Spirit of God. So, Paul wishes that we would all be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some, of, some from Chloe's household have informed me. So, I just want to let you guys know Chloe is narked on you guys. Yeah, Chloe's going, what? Why did you do you know, Oh, great. But, you know, that's actually pretty neat because, you know, Paul didn't say, well, I've been hearing some reports from some unnamed people who will, you know, for, for the, uh, to, for, to protect the innocent. You know, nothing worse than be accused by someone who you can't tell them your name, you know, who's doing it. I hate that. If somebody comes to me and says, oh, you all, you know, I don't like this because somebody said you did this. And I said, who was it? Well, I can't tell you. Then I said, I'm not listening to you. Until you tell me who, until I know where it's coming from, I'm not going to give any weight to what you're saying. I don't have to, I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to, you know, I mean, it hasn't happened for a long time, but, you know, a number of years back, somebody came and said, well, I heard you did this. I said, well, where'd you hear it from? Well, I, I can't tell you. Well, then I don't want to talk about it. Well, but this is important. It may be important, but unless, unless we can discuss it, Paul is at least naming who he's hearing it from so that there's weight behind it. He's saying, Chloe, somebody from, or Chloe's household has let me know that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, and he defines them. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. I love that line too. You know, you, you run into these lines that you just go, okay, this, this just shows me that the Bible was just written the way it was written. Because he's, he's going through the list. I only, I only baptized Crispus and Gaius. And then, oh yeah, then there's you know, so-and-so. I baptized them. But okay, I think that's it. Okay, let me just make my point here. doesn't matter who I baptize. It isn't about this. It's not about me. You weren't baptized into Paul. You know, and that, that same argument can happen today. You know, I follow Joyce Meyer. You know, and I follow Joel Osteen. Uh, I follow Pastor Dan Dennison. Well, I follow Pastor John. You know, so you have these people go, well, you know, because, you know, he's a better teacher than her, and then, then she's a better teacher than, you know, and it's this positioning of, you know, I follow this, uh, or I follow that. Now, the interesting thing is that doesn't come... You know, t today, um, that actually, it sounds kind of strange. I mean, I mean, we do do that. That happens within the body of Christ. But it, it's not so strange for the Corinthians. And we'll talk about that in just a second. There's a reason they were doing that. And it's, it's, it's you know, it, well, I'm going to keep going around in circles until I get there. Verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom, 
uh, to, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but, it, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. So, now remember, these people are, have a Greek background. Um, they were used to arguing philosophy. And the way they would back up their arguments is, well, my argument is a Aristotle, is, is, a, is, a, is a, an argument from Aristotle, which, has, which holds weight because Aristotle said it, People have been discussing it. I am of the Aristotle camp. Somebody else goes, well, I'm of Socrates. You know, my philosophy is of Socrates. And somebody else says, well, I'm a sophist. You know, so you have these people who would, they, were, they would position themselves to argue philosophy. To, and, and that's what the Greeks did. If you've read any of, the, uh, any of the, the history of the Greeks, they would all sit on a hill in their flowing robes and they would discuss philosophy. Oh, you know, uh, you know, should we do this? Well, you know, Socrates said. Somebody else would go, oh, well, Aristotle said this. And then, well, but yes, but that argument. And they would sit and they would debate thought all day long. So what was happening here was they, in the church, that crept into the church. And they were saying, well, yes, but Apollos, and Apollos was a, was a very powerful speaker. Um, yeah, we, we read about him in, uh, in, in uh, Acts. He, is a, he comes in, and, and he was actually a much, from all uh, uh, records, from all accounts, he was a better speaker than Paul. When he came in, uh, very eloquent, very good speaker. But he also spoke from the Word of God. I mean, it wasn't that he, he was doing that just to draw a crowd. He just had a natural talent. You know, and there's people out there who have a natural talent. Of men, you know, that, that can preach, and you just go, "Wow!" Anybody here that that uh, R. W. Schambach died yesterday? Uh, yeah, eighty some years old. Uh, you know, he he was the first big name preacher I ever heard live. Uh, went to really, yep. Uh, what what year? Do you know? Okay. Okay. Souls Harbor, yep, cool. Uh, I had heard him at the uh, Minnesota Convention Center um, back in 86, 1986. Uh, my brother took me to him. I mean, just, I mean, I walked in and I could, was, we're walking up the hallway. We were late, as usual, with my brother. This, well, he won't hear this on the table. Look. But we were walking up the, the rampway, and all of a sudden, I, this is the first, uh, here, wow! Oh, God loves you. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just, woo, you know. We got there. I mean, it was wild. I mean, it was just wild from beginning to end. But his sermon, I'll never forget his sermon. It was, it was God uses you as bait. And he's just talking about the, the Egyptians and the, Jew, and the Jews being caught between the Egyptians and the Red Sea and how God wiped out the Egyptians, and, that he uses us as bait. And I'll never forget that sermon. It was just powerful. But he was a great speaker. I mean, he, when he spoke, there was power, there was authority, you know. And so people have gifts that, that are God-given. But that doesn't make them one, th- you know, better, one better or less than, or, you know, than, than who Paul. I mean, when, you know, by all accounts, Paul was very meek. You know, remember in, I uh, can't remember which book it was. 
you know, he starts all run together. I think it's Second Corinthians, maybe it is First Corinthians, where he says, "Do I need to come with a whip?" You know, he says, "He says I've heard it said that when I'm there, that I'm not much to listen to. If that's what you need, I'll come with a whip. You know, I'll come and and be forceful." So all accounts was that Paul was very meek. So so some thought some liked Paul's style, but some liked Apollos' style better. But then they would sit and argue about which is better. That happens all the time. Sorry to say, in the body of Christ. Well, this guy's smarter than all oh, that. This, but this gifting here and that. Oh well, I don't like him because I like so and so. You know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But see how it creeps in. You know that that same. I don't want to use the word spirit because that that carries kind. Of, but that same style of of choosing what we're going to how we're going to worship. Is, is the same way we choose you know, our, our government, how we choose our, our movie stars. Oh, I like the way that guy looks, or I like the way that person speaks. Or I, and it's, it's, it's what I like. And Paul says, it has nothing to do with what you like. It's not about words. It's not about eloquence. It's, not, it's about power. And it's not about whether one person has more power than the other. It's about, it's about Christ. It's about the cross of Christ. And anything else, if we base our decisions on anything other than the, than the, than the, uh, than the cross of Christ, it's wrong. It's sin. You know, I mean, I'm going to, uh, you know, as long as I'm at it, and I've been, I've been stepping on toes a lot lately, and, and I keep stepping on my own, but you guys just don't know it, but how we worship on a Sunday morning. Well, I like hymns. That's really, that's the spiritual way. You know, we really need to have more hymns. Oh, I like the new music, and the new music is way better. So, well, yeah, but you know, there's some in between music that you know it's only like ten years old, and I really miss those. And I just can't worship without unless we sing. You know, what was one that keeps popping in my head whenever I think about this is, you know, they run on the city, they rush on a wall. Great is the army that. Don't ever heard that song? Yeah, you know, okay, that was a great song, eighteen, twenty, twenty-five years ago, but. You know, it's, it's things change. Times change. To always go back to that and, and to try to cling on to something that, that was memories, there's no power in that. Now, there are times when you sing the old song and then God still moves. But that's spirit-led. It's whatever the spirit leads. If, if we only ever do new music and don't do any old music, that's not right either. It's, it's not about the music. It's about where's the power? Where's the leading of God at any given moment? Another example, as long as I'm out there giving examples. The pastor having to lay hands on people. You know, well, I, don't, I, I, need, I need Pastor John or I need Pastor Greg. I need somebody with a title to lay hands on me to be healed. Or I, to answer, get, get my prayer answered or whatever it is. No, you don't. You need whoever God's anointing at that moment. And that may be a child. It may be a woman. It may be, you know, it may be a grandmother, it may be a grandfather, it may be a one-legged guy, it may be, you know, it, it, it needs to be whoever God is anointing at that moment because it's not about the one-legged guy or the grandpa or the grandma or the pastor or whatever. It's about Christ. And the Bible says, he gives gifts to men as he wills. Not in a set order that it will always be the same for the next millennia and will never change again. We need to be led by the Spirit. Wherever the power is, that's how we're supposed to walk. So, these people had Greek backgrounds. They enjoyed arguing Plato and Aristotle. 
philosophy was king. And so that had creeped into the church and was starting to, was causing divisions. Because they kept getting into these arguments, it was a causing real divisions between them. And Paul goes on to say, where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolishness, foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The foolishness of preaching. I, re- I recognize this and realize this every time I get up to speak. It is, to me, there are times when it's like, how dumb is it that I get up and I speak in front of a bunch of people and expect them to listen to me and to take anything from it? It just seems foolish to me. I don't, and, and, and I'm sure you probably have never thought that, but I deal with that every single week. You know, I'll, we'll be driving home and I'll say to Deb, so how was it? And she goes, it was really good. She goes, why? And I said, because I didn't feel anything. I just, it felt like bleh. No, really? It was wonderful. Yeah, it probably was. But it, I did, it just to me, it was like nothing there. It just, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense that a guy gets up front, starts to speak, and people's lives are changed because of it. But that's how it works. That's what he did. He, he says, he took the foolishness of preaching, what was preached, to be the power of God. It changes lives. Something happens from when it leaves my mouth and to when it hits your ears and hits your spirit. God uh, anoints it. God does something. He takes it and he changes it into life. That you can't get it any other way. You can't get it by, by sitting around and arguing the, how smart, you know, uh, you know, and taking a vote on it. I mean, how many of you ever heard of, you know, boy, we're getting really off subjects here, but, you know, how many of you, are, I think it was called the Jesus Project or the Jesus something, Jesus Committee or something, the Jesus Seminar, where they would sit around and vote on whether parts of the Bible were true or not. And it's like, wait a second, who gives you the right to vote? No, no, that just couldn't have happened. I, I vote no, that, that didn't happen. And if, the, if more votes said that it didn't happen, then they just they get rid of that part of the, they get rid of that part of the Bible. Well, well, hello, I know, no kidding. No kidding. But that's, that's what happens when the wisdom of man starts to creep into the spirit of the kingdom of God. The, you know, his spirit, it's about power. It's about, it isn't about whether we, you know, we agree or disagree. It's about what is truth and walking that truth out and, and accepting it for what it is. It's foolishness to the wise. ...made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Jesus Christ, or in Christ Jesus. The mystery is, is that the Gentiles were all going to, were, were to be saved also. 
If the Jews had known that by killing Christ, the Gentiles were into the covenant, they wouldn't have done it. Because they wanted it all to themselves. They, they had lost sight of God's plan. See, that, here's a perfect example of them wanting to do things their way. They thought they had it all figured out. They thought that, that hey, we're blessed. We're in the covenant. God loves us. We're God's favorite children. And they didn't, they forgot, they did not realize that his plan was, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. Not just a, 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 a cloistered few in a country far, far away. He wants everybody to come into, into relationship. But they wouldn't have done it. They, they didn't, remember, you know, and oh, we don't have enough, we're going to, you know what, we'll catch up. Do you remember when Jesus uh, ran the, the money changers out of the temple? Why did he run the money changers out of the temple? Why do you, why do you think he ran the, the money changers out of the temple? Okay, yep, and they were doing that, yep. What else? Anybody know? Anybody else have an idea of what... What were they? What was so bad about what they were doing? Ooh, you touched on it. You're close. Not exactly. Nope. Do you know what the house of prayer in the temple was? There was a place in the temple mount. At the temple mount, there was a section that was sectioned off from the rest of the... It was part of the temple. It was part of the temple mount. It was called a house of prayer. The house of prayer. It was a separate part. It wasn't the court. It was, it was part of the courtyard, but it wasn't the main courtyard because Gentiles couldn't go into the main courtyard. You had to be a Jew. Remember Paul, when he took... Uh, uh, not Timothy... Was it Timothy and Titus? Who do they think was, uh, were uh, Greek or were... Uh, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. He took some men in and they, they, they actually arrested him because they, and they started to beat him up because they thought he had brought these men who were unclean into the temple area. Jews couldn't go, or, uh, Gentiles could not go through into the temple court. But there was a portion of the temple court that was sectioned off called the house of prayer. And it was an area where the Gentiles could enter into the temple, the temple mount. It was called the house of prayer. That's where, that's where the money changers had set up their tables, was in the house of prayer. It, was, it had become the storehouse. It would become the, 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 the marketplace. The, the house of prayer, the thing that was called the house of prayer, is where Gentiles could come to God and seek God out. And when he came in, he says, you have made this a den of thieves. This is supposed to be the house of prayer where Gentiles can come in and experience God. And you've caused it to become a den of thieves. And he ripped it apart. What he was saying was, he says, You're, you've, you know, he knew what the mystery was. He knew that, it, that, the, that the, all people, Jews and Gentiles, were to be able to come unto God. But the Jews kept pushing them out. No, no, no. We're the we're the the uh, the called we're the called ones. We're the the covenant children. And Paul says in First Corinthians, he says, if they had known that 
the mystery was that everyone was supposed to be in, they wouldn't have killed Christ. That's what happens when, when people start to, 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 to figure God out and to, and to answer the questions according to their own viewpoints, is they miss the plan of God. They start labeling things as, well, this is right and this is wrong. And you start labeling, you, you start setting up rules. And that's what they did. They set up rules. And they, and they even, with the, with the merchants, they were saying, oh, we're trying to help our people. You know, we're trying to, you know, we just, you know, some people are coming and they're having to travel a long distance and they don't have the, the sacrificial lamb or the doves or whatever. So we'll sell them at the, where can we set this up? Why don't we do it over here at the house of prayer? Because that's where the Gentiles go, and, you know. Yeah, we don't, we don't need those guys. But we do the same thing. You know, well, we are like this. We're, we, we understand Christ in this way. And then there's those people who don't quite get it. And, and we, 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 we line up these, these rules and regulations that, well, if you don't do this, then you're not as good a Christian as we are. I mean, we would never say that. But we can. I've been a part of churches like that. You know, now does that mean, you know, oh, it's okay, come in and sin all you want. No, 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 that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people who are really seeking God, and they're messing up. You know, I was, I've been using this as an example lately. I get a, you know, it's crazy. I've been hanging out with these guys a couple days a week, been working out with them, and they're heathens. They're just out and out heathens. They just are. And and they'll swear, oh, pardon my French. It's like, you know, and it, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, hey, you know, I've used this as an example. What if, what if a prostitute came and started coming to church here, wasn't saved? Would we be okay with her coming in? You know, well, the guys may be, but you know, the girls, would, the wives would be ticked. But you know what I mean? We would look at, oh gosh, you know, why does she have to come to our church, or why does? Why does that guy with all the piercings, you know, and the big, you know, the, the, what do they call those things where they stretch the earlobe? The gauges, you know, and the ears. Oh, they're just dirty. The tattoos all, oh. I know. You got a couple of nephews like that. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll send them over there. God will love them over there. You know, we have to be able to, I love this church. Because I see how we treat people that are different when they come in. They get loved on. And they tell me that. The people come on and go, wow, I've never felt accepted in church before. I mean, that's cool. I, that's, that's the kind of church I want to be a part of. You know? <laughs> you know? I've, we've had, in the last couple of years, we've had more people that swear more often. It's just wonderful. I had a guy in my office the other day telling me about how blankety-blank good God is. You know, and I was just like... <laughs> Glory to God. You know, okay. You know, it's where he's at at this moment. He's not perfect, but he's seeking God. He's after God. Well, who am I to say, oh, brother, we don't talk like that around here. I mean, Pastor Greg does, but I mean, the rest of us, none of us talk that way around. You know, people are people, and we want them to come. We don't want to set up a fence so that they can't come in. And that's what the Corinthians were doing. In so many ways, as we read through this, as you read through the Corinthians now, look at all the ways where, where, it, where as you read about it, you go, wait, what they're doing is they're setting up a barrier to exclude that group of people, whether it be through the philosophy, whether it be uh, for the Gentiles. I mean, most of them were Gentiles, so he wasn't dealing so much with that, but in Galatians he was. 
And, you know, Paul was dealing with the Galatian church. You know, it's because everybody starts setting up these boundaries of, okay, you're okay and you're okay, but sorry, you're just not our type. You're not perfect. You're not, you know, you don't, you don't think the way we think. Now, that doesn't stop us from saying, well, this is what I think. Because that's, that's where the challenge is. That when you speak the truth, there is a challenge. And we should, should be challenging one another. All right. Verse 9. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by his spirit. He's, he's just saying there is so much out there. There's so much good. There's so much power. There's so much anointing. There's just so much. It's, it's more than you could ever hope, think, or ask. You, I mean, you haven't even thought about it. No mind has conceived the things that God has prepared for those who love him. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what, what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." I mean, those verses are so rich. I mean, I wished I had weeks to just take those apart piece by piece. The, the, the depth and, and the, the wisdom of God that he wants to reveal to us by his spirit. We can't look at him and go, well, oh, that makes sense in my mind. This is the way things are. Because they're, they're much deeper than that. There's so much more. There's the, the, the understanding of God. You know, he's, he's telling them, you guys think you're wise? You're nothing. You're not even scratching the surface here. You know, you're, you're arguing about petty little ideas. When in reality, the deep things of God are so powerful. They're so deep. But the only way you're going to get it is not by sitting here and arguing about it. But it's about seeking out, searching out the, the very Spirit of God and asking Him to lead you and guide you. And as you do that, we have the mind of Christ. I mean, that's, that is actually one of the prayers that I pray for myself and for others, is that if I'm a Christian, if I'm a believer, he says right here, we have the mind of Christ. Now, we may not fully understand it yet, but, you know, I, I heard Robin Roberts say this one time, and it changed me forever. One of, you know, you, hear, you have one of these things that somebody says, and it just, the, it was so full, and so, the, the power of, the, 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 the anointing on it was so powerful that it changes you. This is one of them. He says, stop saying you don't know what to do in a situation or a problem or whatever. He says, you have the mind of Christ. Now, you can say, I don't know what to do yet, but God will lead me. God will tell me what to do. I'm just going to need to yield to him and listen and, and obey whatever he says to do. I have the mind of Christ. So I pray for myself. I say, Father, 
you know, I'm dealing with this thing right now. I'm dealing with this situation. And I said, I know, though, that I have the mind of Christ. I, you have given me, because of the relationship that we have, you've given me that possibility to know your spirit and to know the answer. I'm open, Lord. Show me. Lead me. Correct me if I need. If I'm heading in the wrong direction, change me. Because I want to act rightly. I want to live rightly before you. He's given us that mind. We just need to be humble to it. Humble to that opportunity. Amen? Thoughts? Ideas? Questions? Comments? Amen? And, and part of us has to ch- has to die and, and, and change to be like Christ because we're we we have become so opposite. Human beings, when they fell, became the opposite. They became anti-Christ, anti the anointing, and so we're 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 slowly changed into His likeness. But that means part of us have to die, absolutely. And we have to change. We have to die to our own will. God, I don't want to do it that way. You know, He says, "Love that person anyway." Forgive that person anyway. I don't want to. <laughs> I'm justified. I'm justified in what happened. I'm justified in what they, that they, what they did to me, what they said to me. What, you know, love them anyway. I don't want to. And then we go through that process. We go through around that mountain until we either, re, you know, we are in rebellion or we yield. We say, you know what, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong here. You can even say, I mean, and I've said this many times. You know, to, to the Lord, I've said this in preaching. I've said, you know, there have been many times in my life where I say, okay, I know what I'm supposed to do. I can't make that decision. I can't make myself do it right now because it's just, it is so foreign. You know what, God? Have your way. You change me. You redirect me. You make me different. And then I, after a period of time, all of a sudden I realize I am. I am different. I do look at that person differently. I do, for, I have forgiven them. Not only have I forgiven them, I love them. That's weird. I hated them before. I, I, I didn't like them before. And now I actually care about their lives. I care about their, their eternity. That's the Spirit of God. And He can do anything. He can take any situation. But we have to die. We have to die.